This is an audio version of the 24th annual DICE Awards Roundtable Series. To watch the video of this episode, please visit youtube.com slash official AIAS. Brought to you by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. This is the award celebration by game makers for game makers, honoring the games that connect players around the globe. No matter where we come from or what our interests, video games bring us together. We gather here to honor our fellow creators and the very best of interactive entertainment. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards. Hello, everybody. Sitting here with me are the 24th Annual Dice Award nominees for Immersive Reality Game of the Year. I'm very excited to introduce this particular group of nominees, and I expect the conversation will take us to unexpected places given the breadth and depth of the games here. So let's introduce our nominees. So first up from down the rabbit hole, we have Ricky Heckelson. How are you doing, Ricky? Everything is fine with me. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I'd love for you to give the folks at home a little bit of information about, you know, how you got into your role and, and what you've been working on. Sure. Um, so uh, down the rabbit hole um, is a game about, it's basically an Alice in Wonderland story, but what happened before uh, Alice got there. And we... We think we found a pretty nice way of tying that into the uh, Alice in Wonderland story once you get to the end of the game, but I'm not going to spoil that. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, my, my role in this was uh, I was the producer for the game. And um, um, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's a good start. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We have also joining us from Half-Life Alex, we have Robin Walker. How are you doing, Robin? Good, thanks. Very, very cool. I'd, I'd love for you to share a little bit of information more about you. I want, I want the folks at home to understand how awesome you are and all the wonderful things that you've been doing. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a programmer and a designer. Uh, I, on Alex, I did a lot of the sort of enemy AI stuff. Very, very cool. Very cool. Uh, from Paper Beast, we have Eric Chahai. How are you doing, Eric? How's everything going? Fine. Thank you. So um, um, I, uh, I created some game like uh, Another World, uh, Art of Darkness from Dust. And, uh, and before I've, I've created an 8-bit game uh, on a small computer in the 80s. And, um, and I, I founded uh, my studio uh, recently, four years ago. <laughs> Um, which is uh, named Pixel Reef, and it was it, it was to create this game named uh, Paper Beast, and which has been created by a team of uh, twelve people. So yes, awesome, awesome. Thank you again, Ricky. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Eric, for 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 jumping in and sharing that. Uh, next up, from the Walking Dead Saints and Sinners, we have Barry Mead. How are you, Barry? Uh, from um, the room of yours, actually, Chris Bussing. Oh my goodness! I'm, my 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 script was a little bit different. Sorry about that, Parley. No worries. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Give the folks a little bit of, of info about about the work you've been doing and how you've gotten into the, into the role. Yeah, uh, I'm currently the head of studio uh, for The Walking Dead: Saints and Sinners. I was the executive producer. Um, started the workshop, which became Skydance Interactive, uh, back in 2007. Uh, to you know, work on new experiences and and uh, really push things forward. And then when we paired up with uh, David Elson at Skydance, we really focused in on VR and The Walking Dead is kind of the learnings on learnings on learnings of that. 
Very, very cool. And, and last but not least, from the room VR, a dark matter, Barry. How you doing, Barry? Hello there. I'm good. Thanks. Very, very cool. Give the folks at home a little bit of info about, about the work you've done in, in space as well. Uh, I represent Fireproof Studios. Um, we um, are mostly known for our, our series, The Room, uh, which started on mobile, but we recently transferred it to uh, VR, we hope kind of successfully. <laughs> and um, my role, at, I'm a co-founder of uh, Fireproof Studios and now I'm the acting business director. Well, very, very cool. I'm excited to, to have you all here again. And apologies for, for swapping names around in, in the space. I did my own version of immersive reality in my own head and mixed and mixed that <laughs> mixed that up uh, for sure. Um, I, I want to dig into a, a couple of different things, but I want to start off with a, a, a question for, for the room. Um, you know, with a variety of, of games nominated here, you know, what are some of the common tenets that you all kind of share across? this medium and across the games here. Um, uh, Ricky Hegelson, I want, I, want to, I want to dig into that really quickly about, you know, your thoughts of, you know, how these things kind of connect and, and how they all touch and, and talk to each other. Uh, are you asking me how all, the, all of these games, what they all have in common or something like that? There are some common tenets that kind of, that, that, that these games all kind of share. Yeah, exactly. What are some of the, the, the common pieces that you kind of think about when you look at the, the games that we're talking about today? Okay. Um, so I think uh, all the games have um, great quality. I mean, that's probably a big reason why we're all here. I think um, uh, it, it's pretty clear that in all of these games, um, there's, there has been a lot of thought into how to keep the player immersed and how to reduce gameplay that is unnecessarily pulling you out of uh, out of the out of the immersion out of actually being there um i mean some of them are pretty different like down the rabbit hole is clearly it's a third person it's a diorama game so you're you know you're looking at the action uh, happening before your eyes in a third person matter um but then you can also go into first person. But it's yeah, it's pretty much it's very different from um, from uh, from most of the other games, from all of the other games, I guess. Um, yeah, I think yeah, the quality, the quality and immersion—that's what I can think of. Uh, they're quite diverse. It's a hard question, I think. But anyone else <laughs> is uh, welcome to pitch in here. Hey, Chris, I'll I'll jump to you and, and give you a crack at that. Yeah, no, I mean, certainly quality and immersion are, I think, hallmarks of one, the group of games that are here, but also, you know, VR in general, it's, you know, presence was is a word often used, immersion. Uh, I also like to think of it as inha inhabiting, you know, uh, the, mm. the not just the world, which I think is where we're at right now in, in VR is, is really uh, doing what games do very well, which is allowing you to get into, you know, new experiences and new places. But the thing that I think uh, I'm excited about for the future, sorry, I'm jumping out here uh, for VR is that there's an opportunity to inhabit people, a character uh, in a way that uh, hasn't really been experienced in games before. And I think uh, I'm excited to see where VR can take us on that front. Yeah, there's so many different ways that we can, we can do that work. And you know, each one of your games specifically has its own twist on that for sure. Um, Barry, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, you know, some of the, the kind of cross-pollination that you see in that space, too, of, of, of ideas and tenants that kind of, you know, are in that space as well. 
I think um, if you're a long-term gamer, part of the fascination of games has got to be the fantasy of it. Um, the, the ability to create a fantasy world and then sell it to people and have them inhabit it. And I think for your, probably for all of us, I mean, we're not, I'm looking around the panel, we're not too young. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, to, to me, there's always been a magic side to video games. The fact that it comes out of a, a silicon box really matters to me somehow. Um, and I think that VR itself just sort of attenuates that feeling that that video game, that magical feeling that video games can give to people. Uh, and I think a lot of the really successful games in VR manage to do that while while maintaining the feeling that this is a traditional game and isn't very um, isn't going to overly challenge people. Uh, there's a there's a sort of a fine line there that we all search for, I think. Um, but I would say embracing the fantasy of it is is a big pull. Actually, it, it is the fact that the game is better than a flat game is what makes us want to make these games. Do you know? I totally agree. The experience of it, rather, is, is um, just more powerful. Yeah, yeah. and there, there is the... No, no, the totally jump in there. So, oh, yeah. There is the sensory uh, aspect of uh, our game. Uh, we can really feel the, the space, the, the world um, in a very different and very physical uh, way in VR. and. Um, and especially with the audio, the audio uh, is really something so important mm -hmm. in VR because uh, it can make uh, things believable. Things that are not believable can be really believable with the matching of the audio and the visual. Mm -hmm. And it is something that uh, really shine in, uh, in VR and uh, you can uh, really uh, play something behind you. You can feel something behind you with the audio. So, yeah, I, I think the the old game here in this room has a, this uh, common uh, point. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's I think, a, that's think... an interesting way to put it. Actually, that um, in VR, your your eyes and your ears can break your brain. You know, your your brain knows that what you're looking and feeling isn't real. But my God, are you getting convinced in every other way possible? Do you know that it is real? So I think that's yeah, it's just an interesting factor about VR, really. That um, yeah, yeah, makes I, it, I uh, totally uh, agree. New for everyone when they put it on for the first time. I totally agree. It's the, it, even as you know it as a developer, and you've spent hours and hours and hours in it. Every time you get that headset on, within seconds, you're just you're you believe it. Your brain is like, yep. Yeah, I'm there, <laughs> dude. If I if there was ever a moment I didn't believe in the VR market, it was, you know, it was a great time to start showing VR to my family, which I remember I did one mm. Christmas when we were working uh, on Room VR, and or, or we were just starting, and I brought it home for Christmas and showed it to my family, and they were just so wowed by it. And it's so easy for developers to get jaded, you know, especially when you're in the thick of things. But showing it to someone for the first time is incredible. Like it really is incredible. Like no, no other game you could show to someone can have that reaction. Like ever, I showed it to my eighty-year-old mother, you know, <laughs> and she was wowed by it. So it, it has this different extra power to it, really, that um, flat games just don't have. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things that you know, my one of my first VR experiences was uh, uh, 
gosh, I was, I was, I was in a room and I was, you know, in a forest and, and, and this huge robot came, came out of the, the forest and kind of spread the trees apart. And I was this very small, you know, uh, small being in the space. It feels like VR does a really interesting thing and, and special thing of trying to replicate the senses that we have and trying to figure out ways that you can interact with that in that way. You know, sound is a huge part of that, which you all kind of talked about. Um, and, and touch will be, you know, hopefully a new layer of that kind of moving forward. Robin, I know, you know, with Half Like, Ale Half like Alex, you know, you all have done this really great job of figuring out some ways to replicate, you know, next-gen hand movement and interactivity and, and how those things kind of work within the space. You know, how early in the process did you kind of think about designing for that and making you know, pretty much everything in the world, you know, interactable? Uh, can I add something to the previous question before? Yeah, of course, absolutely. There's one observation I have just looking at the set of games here. Um, in that, I think when VR first started, the first year or two of VR titles, everyone was very focused on how do we just how do we do a bunch of stuff that we've been doing mm -hmm. for a long time in games? Like how do people interact with a menu? You know, how do people pick up an object? And now I think when I look at this set of games, it feels like VR's moved past that, and now we're into a phase where we're sort of figuring out, we're taking games less mechanically focused, and now we're more sort of holistic game focused on how do we bring sort of entire games that we know work in flat screen into VR, and how do they get better once they're in VR? And, and it's like each of these titles sort of represents a different sort of translation of it, of, so you know a game type that sort of existed a bit before but uh it's sort of come to vr and is empowered by that medium shift in a way that i think i'm gonna go out and lead and a limb and guess was as surprising to the, each of us as devs working on those games <laughs> as they end up being for the players themselves when they get there in the end so i don't know I, i'm sort of excited because it feels like you can sort of get that sense of the vr development is our VR dev holistically is, is really marching forward through the series of problems. Uh, and, you know, we're all sort of trying to find similar things in terms of exciting experiences for customers, but there was this, all this legwork we had to do as an industry around just figuring out base stuff because VR just, you know, we, we couldn't, we didn't have existing solutions like you do for, you know, and you know an fps in a 2d screen these days and you want to pop up a key binding screen you just know how, there's no interesting problem really to solve there it's, uh, it's off the shelf solutions to those but vr it's sort of also novel that you don't get to start with that you've got to build it all so anyway, that's yeah i totally agree i think that you know 10 years from now people look back and uh look at 2020 as kind of that year where everybody kind of had figured out the medium at least the first steps of it and and you know you, you look at any of the, the games on these on this panel and in any you know any previous year they would have been you know just absolute runaway amazing titles and now we're all staring at each other uh, in in competition going wow that's a that's a great game I really love that right you know and I just yeah I'm I'm super excited about where VR is headed for sure because we are you know the hardware is getting better but the devs are understanding the medium better as well and, and building up that toolbox. Yeah, I think everything from here on is so exciting. I think um, uh, when I started working on, um, actually I started this journey in the, trying to solve the problem of inside out positional tracking uh, with a mm. 
uh, a tech company, and then we spun off that into a game company as well. And and uh, kind of the the target I had was I was so intrigued by mobile, the idea of mobile VR and mobile AR, and uh, and clearly there was no inside-out positional tracking at the time. There were you know, but the vision I had, what I wanted to create and help create uh, for VR was essentially the Oculus Quest. And now that the mm. Oculus Quest is here, it's like that is for me is VR 1.0. Uh, anything before that is more like prototypes, but that's like as 1.0. Anything from that point on is just bonus to me, like hand tracking, eye tracking, and uh, all these things added on top from this point on is just you know amazing to me because I initially I just thought up until that point. Um, I also wanted to comment that um, uh, yeah, I think we all had like different journeys of how to get to this point of what to do in VR. Uh, I remember in the early days when I was working on some prototypes in 2014, I was kind of going too far in the opposite direction where I want everything to be 100% immersion and presence, which meant um, mm. I was completely against doing anything in a level uh, where there was snow and cold because obviously you would realize that you're not there because it's not cold. And I was, you know, anything that would pull you out of the presence uh, had to be uh, removed from the game, which, um, and, and I still think that uh, we are probably doing a little bit, holding back a little bit more than some other games. But I also clearly see that uh, if you look at the sales numbers of uh, some titles <laughs> that are doing completely crazy stuff, like, like Population 1 just flying around all over the place. And you know, <laughs> you, you, they're not doing anything by the book. And still, a lot of people love it. So I'm, you know, uh, we, we all have to find our ways into what can VR be. And uh, it doesn't always have to be exactly uh, you know, perfect in the sense of uh, presence either. Uh, so yeah, we all try to it's find the, the right path, I guess. It feels like the, there's still the, the the grand knowledge base that all of you have and across, you know, everyone in the industry trying to figure out what the current visual language and, you know, auditory language is in VR in a way that, like Chris was talking about, there you get to these milestones where everyone is like, oh, okay, we all kind of get this part now. Now how do we iterate off of that and kind of build on what that next thing would be? Do you feel like in the opposite direction, there are still some very, very specific, you know, obstacles that VR is still trying to, to knock down? And for all of you as devs that are, you know, when you're calling up each other at night and you're like, this one thing that I've been trying to knock down, like no one has figured out how to fix that yet. You know, how are you working around that with the game that you're making? What are some of the, the conversations that you're all having in that space where you're you know, finding you still have some limitations that you can't knock down, but you're still trying to figure out ways to connect that to the games that you want to make and the games that you have made in that space. Uh, I'm going to go to Eric really quickly on, on that. Um, well, <laughs> the frame rate, it's still uh, an issue because uh, um, the VR demands a very high frame rate, and even uh, today, uh, with the today's technology, uh, uh, we uh, I think that everyone in this room has this problem, and especially uh, if you release a game, for example, on the PS4, and you have the technology uh, limits. But for the Quest, you have some uh, 
the, the rendering and the computing is in the, is in the headset, so we have some limitation. And uh, so it's hard, it's really hard uh, to, to create a, a VR, ga VR game because uh, of this. So it's something where uh, uh, I don't know what, but uh, I know it's not possible to really go under uh, 60 uh, frames per second, but uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, that's it for me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, 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 no worries. Any, any, any other kind of like, you know, ideas around what are the kind of major, still rough spots to kind of work around in in the space? How to, how to, to sell it? How to get people who haven't put on the headset to understand just how mm. amazing it is? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like the problem with oh shit, uh, the problem with um, marketing for VR is that uh, if you if you look at a video, it's not even half as cool as it is in VR. It's kind right. of the opposite yeah. to AR. Like yeah. if you watch yeah. a, a video of smartphone AR, it looks amazing. And then you see it in this, oh, it's not even stereoscopic. Oh, okay. So <laughs> so it's it's kind of the opposite for VR. Um, yes. And um, yeah, just uh, keep uh, keep showing people uh, and COVID so we can go around and putting each other's headsets in, in other's faces, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think when I think of, you know, analogs to that kind of stuff, you know, you know pre-COVID, you know, a game like the Room VR, you you know, is is I always felt like it was it was ahead of its time in that way. Where you know, when before escape rooms became a very big thing, this game was kind of in the space and in in the world. And, and VR offers a very specific kind of way to experience that in in a good way. You know, when you were designing the puzzles and challenges that kind of drive a story like that, what kind of you know. Specialist designers were, were kind of gathered for that interaction and the, the way that the designs of the puzzles came together. You know, how did you get that to work together so well, kind of building all those things uh, together? Time, <laughs> really. Um, we, well, look, <clears throat> excuse me, we were lucky in that we came at it from having built four other room games, okay? So so if, we, if there was a language to establish about how to make a, this type of game, we kind of already arrived there. So um, when we're, if we're approaching a new room game, we're not really thinking about how to build puzzles per se. We're trying to make them interesting in their own right. Um, so I guess you could say, you know, if we were making a room on, on, for PC or even for mobile, we're not worried about the execution of it. Yeah, we're more worried about the ideas and the creative side. With making the room VR, we we had both problems, right? We had the, the, the technical working out of what is actually interesting to do while you're standing in a space. And then how should the game rules adapt to keep that interesting for the player? And what limit, what um, uh, compromises do you have to make? Because certainly for our game, we had to make compromises. We wanted the game to work on Quest as well as PSVR and PC. So the game is a series of, com of, com of compromises, not only for the platforms, but also for the software we're using, for the displays, but also for the type of players that we're onboarding into the game, as they say, uh, a terrible phrase. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're trying to take care of a lot of things at once, really. Um, but I think with the Room VR, what, what made it very different to the other games was really going back to the start about what is interactive activity in VR? What makes that interesting? Why is this not boring? And then you come down, you also come down to um, other questions like, 
there are better ways to do this, but we're not going to do it that way because we have other reasons, you know, to do it. So, for instance, we would make compromises on on artwork and on poly counts and all of this, but we're also making compromises on whether the how the player moves around the space, right? Mm. Um, so some people don't like how we implement movement in the game. Other people are, realize that it was done for a purpose to make sure that people can interact with what's in front of them without any problem whatsoever. So there's a hierarchy of problems that you have when you're developing the game. And, you know, it's kind of good to have a hierarchy of problems because it helps you then decide which ones to cut, which to keep. Um, that's not to say that we approached it knowing everything uh, that we were going to do. It was just the opposite. We were constantly learning and relearning what we what we thought, how interactivity should work while we were making it. Um, but we were very, very player focused, very, very focused on what the player is feeling, not just second to second, but minute to minute, hour to hour. Um, so in lots of ways, it is a blend of it. It's still the traditional ga- games making skills that you would have if you were making a game outside of VR. Uh, but it comes with a um, an encyclopedia of things that you need to learn to uh, or to figure out more than learn. Like you just have to get smashed in the head enough times to realize, <laughs> oh, maybe we shouldn't do this. You know? uh, so that's what, that's what it felt like. It felt, it felt like going back to brass tacks for us. And it was a real risk for us creatively in that way. In that, um, we knew that what we, want, what, what we were making, we knew it had to compete. We knew, it wanted to be, we knew we wanted it to be as good as any other VR game that's out there. Um, and it was effectively our first VR game uh, on on this hard on the, these different hardware platforms, so there was a lot to learn there, and yeah, it was it was um, nerve wracking, but lots of fun as well. Yeah, yeah, I love the fact you touched on the the, the conversation or the the touch point around creative risk. I think that that is a yeah. I'm sure all of you have have gone through that, especially with the games that you've made. I'm really curious to hear, um, Ricky, about you know in down the rabbit hole. You know, you're taught you're, you're touching a a classic tale and, and putting a a new twist on that. Uh, what, what was the kind of conversations and, and, and thoughts around designing an experience that kind of still holds true to the classic work, but also, you know, surprises the player along the way? Sure. So uh, initially, we, when we started work on the first prototypes, we were talking about how can we, uh, how can we bring the, uh, the old um, adventure games from the 90s into VR in an interesting way. That, that was kind of one of the core questions we were asking, uh, like, you know, Monkey Island and so on. And uh, we were thinking that um, uh, the, a, a good use case is to put the world around the player in some way. So we, um, we wanted to explore the di- diorama uh, setting. And then we said, what if we put the... The game around the player instead of uh, you know looking at something uh, but actually having it around you so that was an initial concept we call it the pit it was basically just going down into a pit um, and i think you had to pull yourself up and down with some chains or something and you would hear that rattling and uh, and you could just see some characters standing around idling uh, and already then we felt that this is really interesting this is a nice way of ex- exploring a story uh, like a comic book, it's kind of. If you look at the game, um, uh, you will see that it kind of you, you're in one scene, and then you walk to the end of the room, and typically in a normal game, that scene unloads, and you load mm. a new scene, like in a flat screen game in those old school games. But here, uh, for a lot of players, when we do the testing, a lot of players doesn't even 
they don't even realize what's going on. They just exit the room and it's like, what happened? And then they eventually turn their head and say, <laughs> oh man, there's another room here. So it's like a comic book uh, feeling to it as well, uh, which we re really liked. And um, initially we didn't know it was going to be an Alice in Wonderland game. It came to us uh, after after we almost, yeah, I think we made a full vertical slice of the game without having Alice in Wonderland. And then we had to throw that out and restart <laughs> when we found that this should be an Alice in Wonderland game. And, and it fits pretty well with the name, like, down the rabbit hole, you're actually pulling yourself, you're touching uh, the roots and you're kind of pulling yourself down and you can move the world around. So yeah, that's some of the ways we've found how to build this story, of course, being Alice in Wonderland, inherently quirky and weird and interesting at the same time. And um, that was something, I think if we, um, if we redid, the project again i think we would have uh, more you know the full story written completely from beginning to end much earlier in the project i think we kept writing a little bit too too long into the game uh, project which was unnecessarily costly in some ways but um, otherwise i'm very happy with how the project uh, went from beginning to end and it was a lot of exploration just trying to find out how how do we put this comic book adventure game thing in vr um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I would, I'd like to bridge off that directly to, to a conversation really about saints and sinners, because I think, you know, again, you're, you're, you're talking about this, this IP, this world that folks already have an idea around and, 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 and the folks that they're kind of, you know, uh, you know, emotionally attached to from all the different aspects of, of that world. And, and every time I think of the walking dead, I think less about the walkers and more about the people. Uh, and about how they are going to be the ones that I'm really having to worry about <laughs> when it comes to, you know, making sure that I'm keeping myself safe uh, within that conversation. You know, how did you kind of balance balance all that out within the game of, of again, kind of making sure that you're keeping that tension within, within the space, not only with the, the way you've implemented your day-night cycle and how that changes the way encounters happen, but the way that, you know, you're interacting with the different characters along the way. Yeah, you really hit on a couple of their key features of the walking dead right i mean it it is about the people right you know it's it's stories about you know what people do when there aren't rules anymore and how do you act right and that was really informative to kind of where we started from right you know one of the great things about vr as i mentioned before was you know that you get to inhabit a person well we started with inhabiting yourself what decisions do you make you know what 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 are you going to do when the only consequences to what you're you're doing are your own conscience, right? So mm. uh, we we wanted to give that freedom there and and really let the player explore that aspect that the Walking Dead does so well. And so you know we pretty early on hit on not being in uh, any of the places that you know Walking Dead stories had been told before because we wanted to you know kind of keep the underlying rules that everybody kind of knows but you know maybe doesn't see about the walking dead and then you know it freed us up to to really dig into you know new stories uh and and build in that tension as you said uh you know it was it was important to us to not let the player feel safe this wasn't going to be a hero's story right this was going to yeah. be you in a in a in a zombie <laughs> apocalypse uh, trying to hang on, 
uh, and and dealing with a bunch of other people, you know, maybe making uh, what we would in our nice safe world uh, think of as horrific decisions, but you know, in the time and the place, uh, feels like uh, you know something that you just have to do to survive. And so uh, it was it was a challenge, but one that we kind of gleefully undertook as we uh, found the systems kind of building on themselves and and more and more bringing that tension, bringing those, uh, you know, uh, opportunities for the player to not play perfectly and put themselves in a bit of trouble. Yeah, that, that, that I'm happy you shared that too, because it, it makes me think a lot about what I experienced in Half-Life Alex, where again, I have this idea of, you know, what I should be experiencing because of the world and the lore that goes along with that, that world and, and, and how all those parts kind of kind of touch I'm, I'm curious to hear from from you robin about you know what that was like in the process of kind of understanding and designing the world to be you know a little bit different than what players had an expectation for not just because it was in vr but how vr had uh influenced the ideas around what you wanted that world to be yeah uh, we didn't actually start with Half-Life Alex as our sort of VR title, we started with a VR title first and mm. we explored it. Um, and whenever we start to um, sort of do prototyping, we generally use existing assets, use, use whatever we've got lying around from previous projects because uh, we find we can get to prototyping much faster. We can learn from, uh, we can get something in front of a play tester much sooner. Uh, and we also, you know, whenever we're going to take a significant risk, like you know, try and build a game in a in a platform we don't understand uh, terribly well, uh, we want to start with as many advantages as we can. We want to make our lives easier. Like, let's not take risks <laughs> everywhere. And one of the risks uh, we thought that was interesting not to take was IP risk. Let's not try and spin up a whole new IP at the same time we try and make a a, a, a VR game. And so we were we were sort of deliberate in looking at our various IPs when, um, when we started out and pretty quickly, like very quickly in retrospect, it was clear to us that Half-Life as an IP fit VR very well. Half-Life is a, you know, the first person shooter ostensibly, but really the sort of experience that players have is one of the sort of seamless blend of puzzles, combat, narrative, all sort of, sewn together the, the sort of meat of half-life is the way it entwines those together smoothly so you're never sort of really doing any one of them explicitly separately from the others there's not sort of like hard lines between them they all sort of merge together and and uh there's a lot of attention paid on our part to sort of every room crafting it to make sure it's a, it has that pacing of those elements and we found that those core elements just work really well in VR, uh, in particular exploration, mm. which has always been sort of a, a main sort of chunk of the Half-Life experience, just worked so well in VR. Like it just everything VR brought to the table made that aspect better. And so pretty quickly we realized that sort of the marriage of the strengths of VR and Half-Life as an IP worked really well. And it, uh, we just built and explored and put it in front of players and repeated that for a few years and, and we're done. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that perspective. I think that there, again, the thing that I, that I think of when I'm in these experiences is, is, you know, how in the hell did you all make this work in this way to make it feel like I'm not having to think about any of those underlying systems. They just all work and they all, you know, add to the experience and, and make all of that feel 
amazingly lots cool. Lots of playtesting. Yeah, <laughs> lots of playtesting. I, I read, sometimes we hear about the way that other developers work and we're forced to accept that they're just much smarter than us because they seem to know what they're doing and have like a plan and uh, from the get-go that works out, whereas we tend to just, we make things and, and watch people play them. And then we go back to the drawing board and say, why didn't that work out? And we make changes and we put it in front of the next person. And our, our core development process is one of just, it's just built around play testing. So, you know, every week for the you know years that we worked on Alex, there was someone, usually multiple people coming into the building and playing the game and us recording and watching and going back and asking ourselves why did that not work out how we expected it to work out and how do we what changes do we make and we just keep doing that over and over again totally yeah we're totally. very similar in that process we just you know two or three different every week you know two or three different groups yep. coming in and playing the game and recording it and the team pouring over it and wondering oh this isn't this isn't what we are expected oh we have to change this oh we need to do this uh, i think barry nailed it time iteration that's that's yeah. how you get that's how you get great well the beauty of all of that is now i get to give an award away for all the hard work that has happened within this space uh so again thank you all for for hanging out and sharing so many wonderful thoughts uh but our winner of the immersive reality game of the year for this year's dice awards is half-life alex congratulations congrats 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 thank awesome, you awesome, awesome. Yay! Congrats, Any, any, any thoughts well to share deserved. with the folks at home? Yes, well deserved. <laughs> oh, gosh, well deserved. Any, any, any thoughts to share? I'm glad that people had a lot of fun uh, playing it. It was a lot of fun to work on it. Uh, it was, we always joked in, inside the company that it was the only game we've ever worked on where we were more afraid to announce it than we were to actually release it. Uh, and and uh, the reaction from customers um, to that announcement was better than we hoped and we're, it was really gratifying to see people have so much fun with it and it's great to see people still you know vr is a medium where lots of people are still getting into it every day picking up new hardware uh there's lots of different hardware they can get and we tried to make sure they could whatever they got they could play it and so you know still hearing from people who are who are trying it out now and enjoying it and that's that's a lot of fun so uh thank you so ricky helgeson Robin Walker, Eric Chahai, Eric, uh, Chris Buse, and Barry Mead. Thank you so, so much for spending some time with us today here at the Dice Awards. And thank you so much again for the fantastic games that you've put into the world. Again, I've had so much fun with these experiences. I will definitely be checking out even more of them uh, in the future and, and getting my hands and, and, and eyes into everything that I'll be able to in the VR space. So again, thank you for being here uh, and for spend, spending some time with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 DICE Summit and DICE Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the DICE Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter, at official underscore AIAS, for more details coming soon, including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.